0: A werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand
1: the views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the view of Wolfpack Research or any of its officers. The views and opinions expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. We are not investment advisors. We hold no registrations with the SEC, FINRA, or any other regulatory agency, and none of the opinions expressed on this podcast should be considered investment advice. Listeners should assume that we have positions in and stand to benefit from any stock or other security mentioned on this podcast. Do your own research before making investment decisions.
2: Welcome to the Wolf Den, everybody. I'm Dan David. Joining us from the pack today, as usual, is Carl, our sound engineer. God help us all. Let's see if we can get through this, Carl, with uh, the minimum interruption. What's that? Over, under? Five? Six? Seven. You shithead. (laughs) We've got a great show today. With us is a old, new, young, back-at-it short-seller. Chris Dross from Bleecker Street. People may remember Chris. He made a big splash on the scene about four or five years ago, coming out as Bleecker Street Research and just absolutely killing it against AAC. And, you know, a company that was basically murdering people in drug rehab. And Chris was like, I don't know, 12 years old at the time. And decided to write a short report and go at it, and it is a fascinating story, complete with depositions and knockdown, dragout fights. So, welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to be on.
2: Welcome back to the world of short selling. You're back with Bleaker Street, back with that name.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's back. You know, I. Spent about five years uh, working um, working in hedge funds and a few months ago, uh, you know, the itch was always there. Um, it was a fun, a fun college kind of hobby and now I'm back, so I'm excited to be back.
2: Well, and I should say that you can always just itch yourself because you're doing this podcast from your bathroom, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is true.
2: You just reach down and give that an itch if you like. <laughs> there you go. Wash your hands first. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad the camera's pointed up though. So, yeah. no joy here in Funville. <laughs> Is it true that you were almost going to name rather than Bleecker Street Prestige Worldwide was going to be the name of your uh, research firm?
0: Yeah, so, you know, it was down to those two and uh Bleecker Street just kind of won out narrowly.
2: Yeah. I I thought Prestige Worldwide would it was taken but it would have been better. So how old were you when you started Bleecker Street?
0: I was 20 years old.
2: You couldn't even fucking drink.
0: Yeah, um, I was 20, I had been writing on Seeking Alpha just as a way to make a little bit of money on the side in college, was always interested in investing, um, sort of gravitated towards short ideas and I would write something up and half of the comments would be, well, like this is good research, but what do you know, you're in college? And I was like, that's a fair argument, but if I was anonymous, you would just have to read the article and deal with what was in it. So I decided to rebrand as Bleaker Street Research, um, just changed my name on Seeking Alpha, it was always just me. And that kind of helped the, you know, the, it took away one of the arguments that trolls could, uh, could use.
2: Your age. Yeah. Well, you know, that that brings up a couple interesting points. Like, okay, so there are a lot of reasons that people are anonymous. I, I never have been, but I respect why some people have to be. Sometimes it's to protect their day job, so to speak. Right. And where they are, sometimes they think it protects them from legal liability. It does not, as as you found out. But in this case, it's like, because your research will be taken more seriously at face value where if you're 20 years old, it's not.
0: Exactly. And it was as simple as that. It was, uh, you know, people would, I would do research that I was proud of and people would dismiss it. And look, if you want to dismiss it, that's fine. But dismissing it because of someone's age is silly and you know, I, I'm no longer anonymous, I completely respect anyone that is anonymous, but right. You know, I. I it, it it served its purpose
2: so the other interesting thing that you said there that our listeners may or may not understand is short selling generally it, it's almost something you're born with. There are these top of their class MBA students you know name your Ivy League school and if they don't have that critical mind the way you do, Chris, like you were just like always, I guess you're saying looking for what's wrong with this story, which lends you to the short side. You're, you're going to have a very hard time making it at first. And, and I, I discovered this when I was looking for research talent and the person I chose, you would not expect on paper, but it becomes very, very important that, uh, that on paper it doesn't all look the same. And and most of the time I just I have them send me a report. I give them an idea and I say, is this a long or a short? Yeah.
0: Right. No, I, I definitely think that's I think uh you know if you talk to people in the in the industry, you know, they will tell you short sellers are, you know, born, not bred. And, you know, it's it's having that kind of critical eye. Um you know, my teachers growing up probably, you know, wouldn't have thought I would be here right now. It was kind of a, a pest. I enjoyed that. It's fun. Did you? Um, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to kind of poke people and, uh, you know, see how they respond. So it wasn't something I ever set out to do, but I really enjoy doing it. So
2: Now, I remember the first time I met you, it was, um, was it, is after the first time you wrote on AAC, was that?
0: Yeah, so the first time I wrote on AAC was in March of 2015. Okay, and so I yeah, met in June
2: of 2015. Right at an event in uh, Northern California that some of us attend annually. And I'm walking around this event, and I think you introduced yourself, and I'm like, you know, okay, hi, Chris. And then you're like, Bleecker Street. And I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, man, this was some great work. And then I just noticed, wow, you are a kid. <laughs> that, but that that is impressive. How many people do you have behind you doing this work? I mean, and it was a lot of work that you really did on your own. I mean, not that you probably don't have people look at it and verify some research, but it was a very impressive thing. And we happen to be staying at the same hotel and I'm walking out and Chris is walking out at the same at, at the same time. Uh, I'm I'm heading to dinner with with a bunch of these other assholes, and uh, you know I'd say, hey man, you want to join us for dinner? <laughs> and he's like, you know what? I'd really love to, but I'm going to dinner with my parents. And like <laughs> off behind him, like like 15 yards, were his parents, and they just kind of wave. And I just thought that was the coolest thing, actually. Really? I really no, I really did. I really did. I thought. I mean, that is just that's fucking cool, man. I mean, I'd rather be going to dinner with his parents. I, I really thought, I you know, if he invited me, I would have went with him instead yeah. of going where I was going. Where did you guys go, It was your birthday, wasn't it?
0: It was. So that that event was actually uh, on my 21st birthday. So I got to spend my 21st birthday with a uh, bunch of short sellers.
2: That was, oh, during uh, the, during the day, but you during
0: the day, yeah. You were
2: you were a good young man. You went to dinner with your parents at night, which was, which I thought, okay. And he's grounded too, because a lot, I mean, imagine that you're with, I don't know, 50 of the biggest short sellers in the world. And you can maybe go to dinner with 20 of them. And he's like, yeah, I, 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 it's my 21st birthday. I'd rather be with my parents. Go with mom and dad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's somebody who's, who's got their, their priorities in the right place. And you missed nothing. (laughs) I can promise you that.
1: I don't remember the two days Uh, after my 21st birthday
2: really yeah yeah um well you don't remember yesterday Carl. (laughs) nothing's changed with you pal and nor have you written any kind of seminal work like aac so be quiet all right so let's talk about aac when you wrote that i mean you had to know that this was a big deal
0: it was a big deal and it was kind of the the first I would say it was the first quote unquote real company that I had written about. Um, So I wrote about it the first time in in March of 2015 and the story was extremely aggressive accounting, these deaths at the facilities that they had not disclosed to investors. Um, There was a a lot of really bad things happening at the company I thought. And it was the first time a sell side analyst had ever actually responded to my research. So I was like, oh, I kind of touched a nerve here. Um, and you know, the stock went down for about a month and then it, you know, it was a roll up, it acquired a few more companies and it started going back up. And, you know, the kind of the the second time I wrote about it was in August of 2015. And that was when the second degree murder charges were exposed um, that, you know, were brought against the company and had been covered up for five to six years by the company. So, you know, that was the, I think it was the only time a corporation um, had in California had been charged with second degree murder. Certainly the only time a publicly traded company had been charged with murder. And, you know, it was a story that you're you're working on and you almost don't know. It's so big, you don't know, you know, the whole basically the whole time, I was like, am, am I missing something very obvious here? that explains this
2: all the way and yeah that's that's the life you're constantly questioning yourself you know how, you know where where are you wrong where what did you miss right. so ba- back to like the the first time the you said the uh, uh analyst reached out to you and uh, and i'm sure that was just fraught with wisdom <laughs> so, it, w- w- What was that conversation about was it a lot of huh what blah mm-hmm?
0: You know, so the the AAC story was basically kind of two angles. They were rolling up rehab centers. Yeah. And so that was the the story that they were kind of telling investors. How they were making money was actually by excessively, um, excessive urine testing. So someone would check into an American Addiction Center's facility and they they would get tested three times a week, three or four times a week by they would get their urine tested three or four times a week. And the industry norm is probably once or twice a month. So what I did to find that out was that I posed as a potential patient and said, you know, I want to check into a facility or I want to check my uncle into a facility. How many times is he going to be tested? And they would say three to four times a month. And they were charging insurance companies about $1,000 to $1,200 a pop for these tests that cost them two to $5. So that was how they were making all of their money. Just a bit. Yeah, that's that's good margin, and that's how they were. That's how they were profitable. So this guy calls me up, and he's like, you know, you're wrong about all these things. And I was like, well, what about the urine testing? And you know, he was like, well, you're wrong. They're growing. You know, they're building a national brand. It's a fragmented market. And I was like, well, what about the urine testing? You know, that's how they're making all their money. And he was like, if that's all you want to talk about, this is going to be a short conversation, and then hung up on me. So. <laughs>
2: urine wrong in <laughs> <laughs> you know, wrong. like well that's uh urine exactly. pissing me off <laughs> exactly what a dick yeah well, who, who was
1: who was the tool who was the who was the douche that 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 tried to piss all over you pun intended uh, I,
0: I don't i honestly don't remember and even if i did i probably would let him you know ride out his uh Sell side days and, and peace and you know maybe try and find a few more shorts be, uh, oh. coverage list. I thought you liked to poke things. No, no. Uh, you know I you know these people can be a source of alpha for you. I think so. Oh,
2: you know I, I think so too. Yeah,
0: I'd like to leave. Let them have their uh, have their business.
2: All right. So after the urine conversation with the analyst, I the the company's responding here, right? I mean. There are threats. There are, you know, there are people coming after you. Anybody going through your trash? I mean, private eyes, any of that stuff happening with you? Yeah.
0: So, so after the, so after the kind of the urine story, I guess, it was, you know, the stock started going back up. So obviously the company's happy. The, the bigger story came, you know, after the second degree murder charges were exposed. So, and
2: how did you come about that? How did you figure out that, I mean, cause they were hiding that and how were they hiding it? I mean, how do you hide second degree murder charges?
0: So the, you hide second degree murder charges because a district attorney um, had publicly written in a lawsuit um, that they had actually brought against someone that he was, planning on bringing second-degree murder charges and the death of a patient. And this was buried in Riverside County Superior Court's website. And Riverside County Superior Court's website was probably last updated in 1994. So it's basically like a non-functioning website. So when I published that first article, I had a bunch of people come out of the woodwork and be like, you're on to something. It's actually much worse than you think. And eventually someone said, have you looked at Riverside County Superior Court's website? And I was like, I have never heard of Riverside County. I have certainly not looked in their court document, you know, their dockets. But I was like, it sounds like you know that there's something there and I never heard anything back. I was like, oh, you know, like you couldn't have given me a little bit of a better clue. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I had that clue. So I started digging, eventually, you know, found, all these lawsuits that I had not found previously because they weren't on Pacer, but they were on this, you know, this county court website. And eventually found this declaration that the district attorney had given. And then after I found that, ended up talking to more former employees, um, a couple of competitors, and you know, kind of discovered that the company was probably much worse than I had initially thought. They were doing a lot of awful things. Because it was an insurance testing scheme, essentially, they needed people that had good insurance. So if you had good insurance, they would, you know, even if you needed a medical detox, even if you needed medical care, they would, you know, admit you because they could get thousand dollars for your urine. And so that's how I found that. Waited to see kind of what was happening. Eventually, those charges were made public um, at the end of July of. 2015. I wrote about it the next day. The stock goes down 50%. And, you know, the the company doesn't like me at that point.
2: No. Mm-mm. I don't
0: think they liked me before, but I really don't I think, think they liked I, me. Before. I
2: think they were considering first-degree murder charges at that point.
0: <laughs> I think they wanted to, yeah. I, I think they would have, uh, if they could have, they would have.
2: Yeah. they. Well, that was not good. That was 50% drop will do that. So when you talk about the the people that were dying there and, and you looked into those cases, how does one usually, did you look into like, you know, the, the cause of the mortalities there? Uh, I mean, was it just neglect? Was it overdoses? Um,
0: it was, it was, it was tragic. So I would talk to, talk to these former employees and and people that had, you know, worked as intake coordinators at these facilities. And, you know, they would tell me these stories about bringing people in and, you know, how they were instructed to just say whatever they, you know, whatever they needed to say to get someone in the door. If they needed, if they said they needed oxygen, you know, I'm on an oxygen tank, the intake coordinator would be told, yeah, sure. We can, we can help you. You know, we have, you know, we can refill your oxygen tank. So the, and in, in a lot of cases, they couldn't do these things that they were promising. So it was, you know, one of the deaths, I think, was a guy just that needed oxygen. His oxygen tank was, you know, not filled, not refilled. And, and he died. He in suffocated? The middle of the
2: night. He just had a heart attack from, yeah. from suffocating or what? Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. And so I ended up talking to a lot of these people's families. And it was just it was tragic. The stories were just awful um one person ended up escaping and then hung himself right outside the facility Jesus. and you know you would what talk to these the families hell? and yeah so you would talk to these families and it was just so sad that a company that was kind of holding themselves out as a mm-hmm. um as a solution was really causing all this pain
2: i mean be- best in class solution kind of a thing they were saying right
0: they were trying to create a national addiction brand right. or a, nat- a national you know rehab brand and service. And it was just, it was so sad. You would talk to these families that they were, you know, they would save all their money and and send a loved one to rehab. And in some cases they just wouldn't come back. And, you know, that's, uh, that's tragic.
2: Well, the irony is if they had just stuck with the piss tests, I mean, and, and just gouging, right. Like every company. They had a model and,
0: you know, I think it's, it's greed, you know, it's,
2: yeah. I mean letting somebody in knowing that you cannot service their comorbidities is is definitely, you know, puts you on the hook. You know, gouging the government, well, that's what they all do. That's that's terrible. So when the stock dropped fifty percent, uh did you did you end up in a battle with the company? I, I thought I heard there was a lawsuit back and forth to you and the company. You or were you, you were deposed at one point from them, right?
0: Yeah, I, I was never, they never sued me, and I always kind of thought that since I was a college student, um, I was a little bit protected because... That had to
2: just burn the shit out of them, by the way. Like the CEOs oh, yeah. were yeah. worth this you kid. Know, a billions of dollars, gets taken down by a college kid. Oh, that had to kill them.
0: I, I don't think they like that, but I thought that I was protected in the sense that The headline, you know, publicly traded company, Sue's College Kid, is is not a good headline for anyone. Obviously, they have plenty of bad headlines, but, you know, so they never sued me. But they did, you know, make my life harder than it it needed to be. Um, I remember I woke up one morning on a Sunday and, you know, I'd gone out the night before. It was like 9 o'clock and had just, you know, moved, had graduated college and was living in like a building and the guy in the lobby calls me and he's like, you have uh, a couple of people here that say they, they have a, you know, they have a meeting with you. And I was like, I, I'm not the kind of person that has meetings, definitely not on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these two people come in and they say, you know, Hey, we're, uh, we're representing lawyers, um, that are suing American addiction centers. And so I was like, all right, this is weird that you just show up unannounced.
2: Yeah. Class action toads.
0: Yeah. So, well, about three weeks after that, I get a call saying, why don't you go look at the latest filing in this case? And it was basically that these two, these two private investigators that had showed up on my front doorstep um, were actually working for American Addiction Centers and had filed, a, a, I guess, a letter or in the complaint trying to get the case dismissed, the murder charges dismissed had basically said that, you know, I was working with the district attorney and I had admitted to that to them and there was a conspiracy to like bring the company down. <laughs> Obviously none of that was true, but you know, they, they said that, you know, they lied about who they were working for, lied about a lot of stuff. So that was kind of the first, um, the first response. Obviously that pissed me off. So I wrote about a five page letter to the judge trying to drag them over the coals and, you know, telling them, you know, what really happened. That ended up going nowhere, ended up getting served with a subpoena and deposed for about 18 hours over the course of two days.
2: 18 hours.
0: So they were, you know, they were, it was a fishing expedition. You know, they went through every single line of everything that I had written about the company and yeah. you know, we're trying to trying to find some evidence of a conspiracy against the company, which, you know, the fact that they even thought that there was a conspiracy when their actions, I think were so clearly um, wrong, you know, it speaks a lot about their character, but yeah. So 18 hours of of depositions later,
2: companies like this always want to justify their own actions by saying that the people after them are worse than they are.
0: Yeah. And you know, if you want to take responsibility for your actions, that's great. But you know, there was no conspiracy, you know, they, they, created a company that was so transparently bad that a, that a college student could figure out what was, you know, what was wrong and they want to pin that on a conspiracy. That's fine. But that's just, you know, not what happens.
2: Yeah. You have here in your notes that the lawyer who deposed you for the 18 hours ended up marrying (laughs) the president of AAC, Jared Menz.
0: Yeah. So I, uh, AAC is Headquartered quartered in Nashville, Tennessee, and so at the end of this deposition, you know, she, she was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to, like, Nashville for the weekend, and I noticed she had, like, a huge diamond ring on her hand, and I, you know, was tired from the deposition, didn't, you know, didn't think twice of it. She said, like, she was going to visit her, like, college-age son or something, and so I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Why,
2: why, why, why was she telling you where she, what she was doing for the weekend?
0: I don't know. Like it's, it was a weird, it was a weird deposition. Very strange.
2: Have you ever seen the movie, The Graduate? I'm just wondering, I'm asking for a friend.
0: <laughs> I have. yes.
2: Okay. Just one. All right. Go ahead.
0: So yeah. So she goes to Nashville and about a year later, I'm like poking around doing, you know, seeing what these people are up to. And I realize that her name has changed. Uh, her last name is now hyphenated and it's men's. And Jared Mens was the president of AAC, so I was like, "Oh, oh, they got married." You know, love, love does find a way, I guess. Um, yeah. Perhaps they were rooting for each other.
2: Uh, well, perhaps she was, you know, to her credit, willing to overlook, you know, simple second degree murder. Murder. Yeah, I mean.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, and you cannot testify against your husband, so
1: that—that's a good point.
2: Yeah. So there you go
1: did you have a short position? Did you make money on the, uh, on the report? Yeah. So
0: I, I kind of took the, the view of, it felt like a once in a lifetime kind of piece of information. And I figured that if second degree murder charges didn't cause a stock to fall, nothing would. So, you know, was, I was a college student at the time, didn't have a lot of money, but ended up putting um, basically all of my net worth um into shorting the stock, and so yeah, I made you know I made in a little bit of money, but
2: well, listen, I mean it's it it, it would be really gauche of us to ask you how much money you made, so you know, but how much money did you make?
0: <laughs> uh, I will uh, I will defer on that question. <laughs> I will pass.
2: You know, you know, Carson made four thousand dollars on ONP, his his first really? yeah. Was that his first one? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what he said. Like four, four grand on O and P. He has more than that now, from what I that hear. Would cost a little bit. Yeah, little. but so if you if you did better than that, then <laughs> there you go. You just put it in yeah. his face next time you see him.
0: Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I guess you probably did better on the second trade with AAC than the first trade, because. As I've always said to to people putting out a second report, a second report can't just be twice as good as the first report. It's got to be four, five, ten times as good as the first report, especially if others have written on it or whatever else. And and this qualifies as that. So, hopefully, you did very well there. It sucks that other people lose money because this is you know, this is kind of a a binary thing, you know, you did some good work there and some people paid the price too bad. Nobody went to jail. I guess Jared didn't go to jail. Did he?
0: No, they, they, so they were, I think they were the, the president and the CEO of the company, uh, were both about 25% shareholders at the time. They ended up selling a lot of their stock. Um, they actually ended up selling it to buy land in the Bahamas. Oh, jeez, Yeah. Um, the charges were eventually lessened. They ended up paying a fine. Um, he had to step down from the company. The one saving grace is the company did file bankruptcy in June of 2020. Why is that so, a saving grace? Well, you know,
2: it's... Right. It's not a saving I mean, that's investors who lost. I mean, I guess, you know, the chairman and, and, and the other guy that bought the land in the Bahamas, I'm, you know, I'm sure they had planned on buying in St. Bart's, and they had to step down to the Bahamas, so <laughs> right. that's how that hurt. But, you know, the bankruptcy of the company really just fucked average investors, and these guys are off to the islands. As happens, and that is the story of drug addiction, AAC, and short sellers. They all go together. And after that, you, you decided you'd kind of hit a pinnacle there. you, you, you were on top. And I don't know were you burned out or what, but you said, "I think I'm going to go to work for a fund. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be Bleecker Street anymore."
0: Yeah. So I, I thought the the natural, you know, I, I I love investing. I love researching stocks. I love digging. And so you know, I thought that the natural thing to do would be to you know go work for a hedge fund. And how much did that suck? I, I loved what I learned, but I there is nothing that can uh that can kind of recreate the high uh of just digging through something, knowing that your kind of, you know, everything that you're researching and working for is going to be public and you're gonna be your thesis is going to be tested publicly. I have yet to find something that can I have yet to find something that can recreate that feeling. So yeah.
2: Yeah, well, I imagine it's probably not as fruitful to be told privately that your financial model sucks and you're a douche. Go get me coffee <laughs> like, like you would at a hedge fund. But what did you what did you find most interesting and least interesting about working at a hedge fund?
0: So so most interesting, I mean, I think, you know, I I went to work for Steamboat Capital. They're a a fantastic longshore fund Mm -hmm. in New York um, run by Parsec High. Um, And I think that, you know, it was a, Leaker Street Research was a hobby for me in college. It was something that uh, I would do in my spare time um, or the time that I should have been studying. Um, Really, that was mostly how that time was allocated. Um, but that's kind of where I learned how to be a professional analyst, I think, um, and how to do the things that, you know, I didn't, didn't know how to build a model, didn't know how to, you know, didn't really know how to like really understand how financial statements worked together. And so, you know, you, you, I can understand a story. I can understand, uh, you know, when a company is, is telling, you know, a story that is bullshit. But what I didn't know how to do was kind of understand how the financials work together, how, you know, th- that side of the story. So getting to learn that, it was hard, um, but it was, it was really rewarding. And, you know, what I, what I didn't like was that in, you know, when I was writing under Bleecker Street Research, I would publish something and I would have 150 comments and, you know, 75 of them would be calling me an idiot. And, you know, maybe 30 of them would be like, oh, this is brilliant. But what what happened was, you know, the stock would respond. I would know that I would have sort of instant feedback on the quality of my research. You know, whether the stock was down fifteen percent or up ten percent, um, I stood by it in either case. Um, but you know, you you really don't get that level of it's it's a different game. You know, you're 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 investing and you're trying to understand, you know, how other people are going to perceive the company and. That's kind of what I think drives returns or, you know, drives stock prices. And what I really love doing is kind of trying to put out information that the market is either unaware of or is misunderstanding and seeing what that kind of reaction is. And so that's kind of how I learned how to invest or taught myself how to invest. And so when you, you know, when I lost that kind of feedback mechanism, it was hard to, it's kind of hard to, you know, it's hard to recreate that. Yeah. inside of fun, you know, because people don't want to have their, you know, have their junior analyst um, you know, running around writing hit pieces on companies. Why not? <laughs> you would think,
2: you know what I learned from all of this, that financial statements work together. Write that down, Carl. This is what we've been missing the whole time. We're, we're, we're going to take Wolfpack to a whole new level now. So there's a lot of that man, yeah and I think it's a good place to cut your teeth and and find out how unimportant you are in the world and that's that's an important lesson, and that the work is what matters, so you've done that, and then you work you worked for a short selling firm uh you know after steamboat you you did some yeah. work that kind of a short only firm. And how's that different
0: it's It's different in the sense that you know your your entire day is spent looking for bad people and and bad things um whereas at a long short fund you know you're you you know you kind of have to balance you know when when the market's down fifteen percent over a month you know you might start looking at longs um and when it's, you know, up 20%, you know, you shift your time to, to shorts, um, but, you know, every single day. So even, you know, when the market fell, what it fell in, in March and April of 2020, you're still looking for shorts, um, you know, even though it's fallen substantially. So you're, you're trying to find, you know, stuff that will, will go down substantially. And then you're, you know, it, it's hard when, you know, when the market's down a lot, and you're still trying to find things that will, you know, keep going down. Um, there wasn't a lot of that at that point, obviously in hindsight. So, um, you know, it, it's a it's a completely different game. But you're you're exclusively looking for the worst possible stories um, and the worst possible people.
2: Yeah, I think I think we all get that notionally. That like, yeah, that's that's the difference. But you know, what's the vibe as far as a difference? I mean. I would think that at that short firm, it's just like you come in, smash your fucking head against the wall, and leave, smash your head against the wall, start all over again tomorrow. It's it's a grind, right?
0: It's it's yeah, it, it's difficult to, you know, to 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 only have a book of of names, and a lot of times those things all go in the same direction, so. You know, you felt like in the middle of March, you know, everything you would, I looked at my screen and everything was green. Everything was down, going down five to 10% a day. But then, you know, there's a period of time and it's 98% of the time when things are going up five to 10% a day and there's nothing you can do except cover the short. So, right. Because you can
2: only have so much exposure,
0: right? You feel like an idiot. 98% 98% of the time. And then, you know, the 2% of the time, you know, cause stocks keep going up and then they crack, you know, so right. they're going up, they're going up, they're going up, they're going up, and then they start falling and that, that fall normally happens pretty rapidly, you know? So you might have
2: after you've covered 80% of your short,
0: right? Exactly. So you might have, you know, three days where you feel like, you know, when like you're feeling really rewarded and you know, you feel like the work you did was great and, you know the market listened, and you were right, and you feel great. And then the next day, and uh, you know you have five more problems. So yeah, you know it's, it's like you're you're kind of putting out a fire um, every day, and you know it's it's challenging. The stories are, I think the stories couldn't be more interesting. You know you're you're looking at some of the worst companies, the worst people, the worst underwriters, and you're following them around. And the stories are hilarious, and the people are—you know—the people on the other side of the trade are, you know, the companies that they're putting together are just utterly ridiculous, but.
2: And they're making tons of money, don't it?
0: They? They, they are. They are the ones that are making money, and you're the ones that you're you're losing money. So
2: yeah. 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 Uh, that is the banging your head against the wall they're just, yeah. they're just, I mean, the warrants and then, um, the, the stock options and they're just making tons of money pumping out crap. And,
0: and, and there's no recourse, you know, no. they will, they will make their money. And that's, I think one of the biggest lessons is that, you know, you will lose your money and they will make their money. And even if the stock goes to zero, they will still have their money.
2: I so. don't, I, I, I yeah, that's why I don't, I don't see that. Uh, I can't really think of 10 just pure larger size short funds that know what they're doing. Uh, really? and, and they can't, no, I mean, that aren't long short.
0: Can you think of 10?
2: Probably not five.
0: Can you think of 10 short firms, period?
2: That's what I mean. Like yeah. I, I, once I said 10, I'm like, I, I don't think I can think of five. Wow. Right. Uh, most of them are just like have blown up and gone out. I mean,
0: even, even if you're, I think one of, you know, even if you're a fantastic portfolio manager, a fantastic risk manager and a fantastic analyst. Yeah. The short biased model, you know, it almost feels like you're investing with your hands tied behind your back.
2: You're only fantastic if the market agrees that you're fantastic at the same time you're fantastic. <laughs> it's exactly. it's right. all about the market. And with the liquidity yeah. going into it, especially over the last year uh, and the quantitative easing over the last 10 years, I mean, it's just been really tough for that.
1: How much did What's-His-Face lose on GameStop? Plotkin? Plotkin.
2: Well, he's not a short only fund.
1: It's a short long though, right?
2: Yes, which which is a conversation we're not having. You want to have that conversation? A long short fund is pretty much what every fund is, right? They, that's that. That is the operative word: hedge.
1: Uh. <laughs> hey, I'm just the sound guy.
2: You really just are. Okay, so you you did that for a while and. At at a certain point here, you've now decided you're just going to come back to being Bleecker Street again. You've got the bug. You're going to stay in it. You got some ideas?
0: I do, yeah. I You know, I would end up working.
2: Tell us your next idea. Just us. We're not going to tell anybody. We'll we'll edit Uh, it up. Trust me, nobody's listening
0: you won't have to wait too long so I think the the two things in in the hopper that that I can tease are are probably oh the,
2: he's got two things you nice. f- what a bragger <laughs>
0: yeah the uh I think the one of the worst SPACs I have seen SPAC, um SPAC Jesus you no know, and that that will be happening soon um it's it's just purely one of the most silly ideas I have really ever evaluated um it's utterly ridiculous and then i think the second one well, congratulations
2: is, that narrows it down not at all yeah. Spac yeah. ridiculous idea worst i've ever seen
1: I, i'm betting either on chamath or the shack Spac. <laughs> okay could be and
0: then you know the second one that's a little bit more of a of a real company but that's kind of um it would be like if uh, if aac and valiant had a baby So. Um really? I think that's that's one that I'm pretty excited about.
2: That 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 would be interesting because that'd be almost perfect, right? Because that'd be a drug addicted baby. Right? Because <laughs> valiant. Yeah. And then AAC yeah. could um uh, make sure that it never left infancy. Yeah. yeah. Kills yeah. it. Well wow. you said it, not me. Wow a valiant so so the the, uh, we're we're going through the process here carl i don't expect any help from you just so you know okay
1: okay
2: they are both roll-ups valiant and aac so you've given away that it's a roll-up that narrows it down to one of thousands of companies
0: (laughs) (laughs) i like to speak broadly
2: uh, yeah. 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 Well, I think I think Chanos is uh the one famous for saying in his his, his great class, uh Fraud and Follies in the Market, that the place that you would first look for fraud are in roll ups and capex. And I, I found that to be certainly the case for accounting and, and roll ups. So definitely. Uh, well, you know, we, we wish you the best of luck with that. We're we're fans. We're following you on Twitter. Everybody should follow Bleecker Street on Twitter. And we're looking for that shortly. Are you interested at all? Been following the meme stocks? Um, has that piqued your interest when this whole thing's going on? You were kind of on the sidelines there. or oh, actually, you're running the short book at that short fund. Did uh, you get caught up in any of that crud? You
0: know, we the we weren't caught up in the you know in the game stops of the world but it, it affected everything in the market and you know it's you know you're you're obviously caught up in it if you're short really anything that's crummy because you know companies are going up companies would say oh we're going to do an nft now and it would go up 200 percent you I know 300 percent and you know the nft would come and no one would care it you know wouldn't do anything but that didn't stop the stock from going up 200 percent
2: Remember but when that was blockchain? We're gonna we're gonna use blockchain in our company now. Oh, it'd be up on
0: there's a promotional cycle and they, they really don't change. You know, the same companies that were were blockchain in 2018 and are, are doing NFTs in 2020, and right. the people that did blockchain promotes in you know 2017 and 2018 are now doing NFT promotions. Like I think that's one of the most interesting lessons is that these people kind of learn one trick and then they just keep doing it. And the stories change, but kind of the, the core of it really doesn't.
2: Yeah. So I I mean, what what did you, you have any lessons you want to impart on people that you've, you've taken from watching this kind of MAME mania or retail mania?
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm obviously still participating on the short side. Um, I like to see people caring about the financial markets. I think it's it's exciting. I just wish that they were participating in a way that didn't lead me to think that in a year their you know their portfolios will be down somewhere between 75 and 90%. And that's, you know, through no you know they're they're excited. They want to make money. I think we've been inside for, you know, 14-15 months in our board and, you know, that was kind of the NFT genesis, NBA top shot stuff. And, you know, people are, you know, I like to see people participating in the market. I think retail investor interest is, is a good thing, but not in the way that it's happening right now. And I see really, I, I don't think it's the people that are participating, but the people that are encouraging the participation and, you know, the CEOs that are on Twitter, you know, encouraging people to, you right. know, invest in their $200 million market cap company, and you know, liking the tweets of these people, you know that that's the thing that really worries me and, and makes me sad because I think they will. You know, these things will fall eventually. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have a view on GameStop. I'm, that's kind of on an untouchable list for me. But you know, you see the the smaller ones
2: or or, or AMC.
0: Right, GameStop, uh, AMC. You know, I I like to invest. You know, I like to short things where you know, you're, you're looking for someone to sell. You're trying to figure out what the kind of triggers are that are going to make people sell, you know, things where you can have a, a variant perception and it's so hard to understand what that, what that is on those stocks that I, I just stay away from them. But, you know, just cause something's up 500% doesn't make it a good short, but I, I look at these people and I look at, you know, what they're saying. And, you know, it's, it, it's not the, you know, it's not deep fucking value that I'm worried about. Like that's, you know, he's, he's good for him. Like that's, that's an amazing trade. It's the people that are, you know, investing in these kind of third derivative um, shit goes. So well, you know, I mean, look, I, I, I,
2: I think some of the people running these boards are much more savvy than, I mean, at some point, some of these pumpers are taken over and, and, they've been doing it in in one form or another for the last 10 or 15 years, whether it be on Twitter, whether it be from the Yahoo message boards back in the day or whatever. And now they found another forum and they act like just this regular person and look at some info I've stumbled across and they, you know, create this kind of thread of a thought that, that goes forward. And it's, it's really all about a squeeze more than an investment. And you know, the, the music ends when the passive investing flows are outflow rather than inflow. Yeah. Uh, that That is really end days. And I'm going to make a prediction right now. It's dire, it's not fun, and I'm not being glib. I really, unfortunately, believe this is going to happen. But I think, you know, one or or more of these retail guys, whether it's Reddit or somewhere else when this happens when these outflows happen and they and they lose everything they're going to hurt themselves or somebody else in a in a pretty dramatic way that's kind of how these things go and it it hasn't happened we haven't seen it we've we've seen little pullbacks but we haven't seen like somebody just get completely drilled and lose everything or a big group of them and when that does happen you know the way we're kind of built violence ensues
1: are you saying more individual guys or 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 like the corporate
2: no i'm saying more individual guys i mean like i remember in the late 90s when day trading kind of became a thing and and they had consider like we work back then or the group offices where you could go in and day traders would just rent their cubicles or whatever and, and some of the more aggressive ones would lose everything i remember a guy going in atlanta and just like you know taking in um you know a, a gun and shooting everybody yeah um and my things are a little decentralized now I, i'm not sure that they have that kind of thing but When people lose and they don't understand why they've lost, they're looking for somebody to blame, right? And they don't want to blame the people who agree with them. Those are the enablers and those are the CEOs that Chris is talking about that are putting out these, these tweets that, that they agree with. They will be any kind of critic that they don't agree with or even more unfortunate, maybe a family member because it's people closest to you, yeah, at times, but I think that will happen. That's my dire prediction
0: yeah, and, and I think alongside that, I think we'll probably eventually find out that a lot of the people that have been driving these things on Reddit are you know they they will walk away like you know like we said earlier, you know they will walk away with their money, and I think we'll probably find out that you know. Perhaps it's not just retail you know a horde of retail people that are, are driving these things and perhaps it's more you know financially savvy promoters oh
1: it's pseudonymous. Sort of so, there
2: yeah they're, I, you so. know I don't, I don't I don't put the the um, kitty cat guy deep fucking Fuzzy, value Fuzzy. or whatever in this category of oh no I, of, I think but it's, but I, but I, but, I but, but I would point out for for all of you that follow him he is never going to put all his chips on the table again ever ever he has taken a significant amount of money off the table, as he should, and put it away for himself and his family. And for those of you who didn't do that, you're going to find somebody to blame, but if that's the guy you're following, then do what he's doing and take some of that money that you've made off the table. There you go.
0: I think that's, uh, I think that's the right answer, and I think that will you know, if you want to invest in those things, that's fine. But when, when one of those things is up, you know, 200%, I hope you're not doubling down. And I hope that when those things eventually do fall, that, you know, you have taken enough chips on the, off the table that, you know, you're not hurt.
1: It's the addiction. It's that rush, you know, your rush with the short, their rush is, Hey, I'm up 200%. How much more can it go up? They never think to, to exit out or, or, or cover, you know, get, get, take a certain amount of profit
2: yeah yeah i mean look i'll take an example here i don't know you know i mean i don't know if you saw DraftKings from hindenburg yeah i did i notionally i like i like nate's work i think he does a nice job i don't i don't know him very well i don't speak to him often at all i haven't spoken to him in years actually but i like his work i think what he did was good you know i try not to get involved in these short seller wars and be one of these jealous pricks who <laughs> doesn't like him because he does too much work. You just look at the quality there. And immediately, before anybody could even digest that report, there are people just like, nah, I'm I'm buying on the dip. I mean, like, don't care what it says. I'm buying on the dip. I mean, David Daytrader was just like
1: yeah. Half a million.
2: Half I, a million. You know, he read he he read the bullet points of the report and is just like, "Whoa, whoa, this is serious." And then, like thirty silent seconds later, I just bought five hundred thousand bucks worth. <laughs> what, what, what? I don't know why. It's going to go up. I can't. I'm just telling you. There's too many smart people that own this. And there's no due diligence to refute what somebody who I think is credible, the market has said is credible on many occasions, but they're just going to buy it.
0: Right. And I think that's just the market that we're in right now. And I think... And that's what you
2: want to get back into, Chris. It
0: it is the market (laughs) I want to get back into. But, you know, you... I think we've seen... I don't think the market really cares about what you care about. You know, I think that companies that lose, you know, like $50 billion a year are bad businesses, but those shareholders you know, they care about something else. So I think that when you're doing these things, you have to try and understand, like, I I think you have to try and understand what the shareholder base is going to care about. And when someone like, you know, I don't think, you know, Dave Portnoy, I don't think he even knows what he's supposed to care about. So well,
2: and by the way, he was right. I mean, if, if by right, you mean, he made money, i mean look, if he sold this morning or this afternoon or whatever from where he bought 8 he, points yeah he 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 probably made 4 or 5 bucks a share i don't know that that makes a thesis right but he made money on the investment
0: right and and that's the market that we're in right now there you and go and you just kind of have to you know respect it and work around it and i think those things don't last forever so
2: there you go. They don't last. Nothing does, young man. Oh. So welcome back. Do you uh, have any parting words for us? Anything else you want to tell us that's coming up for Chris Dross and Bleecker Street? Am I going to see your parents in San Francisco? <laughs> uh,
0: maybe. Um, I would. Maybe you can come to dinner this time. Um, Please.
2: Oh, my God, dude. I do not want to go.
0: Maybe, maybe avoid some of the drama that might happen. Um,
2: listen if, if there's a if there's a dinner this time it'll be like five short sellers at one restaurant five at another five at another <laughs> it, it is just like the appian war happening right now but okay
0: and and i want to stay as far out of it as i possibly can good and hopefully do good work um you know follow me on twitter at Bleaker street you know sign up for the mailing list uh you'll see the work it's coming out i'm really excited about it i'm really excited to be back i think me too could not be a more, uh, more interesting and fun time to do it. And I think that, you know, for me that there's, I have not yet to find anything that's, that's more fun than spending a lot of time doing due diligence, figuring out what's really happening, you know, figuring out these things that people have tried to hide and, and exposing it and putting it out there for the market to, to digest and, you know, tell you all the ways that you're an idiot and, you know. (laughs) you know, maybe a year later, you're right. And to me, that's, uh, that's one of the most fun feelings there is. So,
2: well, you're a sick man, Chris.
0: Yeah.
1: You have to be, to be a short seller. So the the Twitter threats, they always make me laugh. The, 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 the,
2: the, they make you laugh because they're not threatening you dummy.
1: Well, that's even better.
2: <laughs> it's, just, it's just great. You're awesome. Well, Chris, well, welcome back we're looking forward to your work your work's been great i know it's only going to be better with the experience that you've gained if you like our show here at the uh wolf den press like retweet if you don't like our show I you know don't hold it against chris he does great work follow him at bleaker street on twitter And we will talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us on Wolfpack Research Podcast. I hung up on Warren Buffett. You didn't. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, leave us a comment. Give us a retweet. Follow us on Twitter. Thanks for joining us.